Matthew 13, we want to read from verses 10 through 17 as we begin this morning. We are thankful for your presence. We're glad that you've come out to worship the Lord with us. And may the Lord be exalted by the things that we say, by the worship that we offer. This passage is parallels in Mark 4 and in Luke 8. But listen to the words of verses 10 through 17. And the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? Jesus answered, To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. For whoever has, to him more shall be given, and he shall have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because while seeing they do not see, and while hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand, in their case the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled, which says you will keep on hearing, but you will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but you will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull, with their ears they scarcely hear, and they have closed their eyes, otherwise they would see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. For truly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desire to see what you see and did not see it. And to hear what you heard, hear, excuse me, and did not hear it. Now in that text, I counted the word see used nine different times. A couple of different words behind it in the original language, but nine different times for see and three different times for eyes. The same number for hear nine times and ears three times and the word understand is used in verses 14 15 and 16 three times even though it's only used 26 times in the whole new testament so it's going to be a lot about seeing hearing and understanding that's going to be a key emphasis in this section. Last week we talked about the parable of the sower in verses 1 through 9. It's explained in verses 18 through 23. In between, we have the record of the disciples asking, Why do you speak to them in parables? This kind of teaching represented a change in the way that he was teaching. And they weren't expecting it. It caught them off guard. And they don't understand why he is using this method to teach when it isn't as clear. If you're going to say something, just, just come out and say it. The disciples say at one point in John 16 verse 29, now we understand you because you're not speaking figuratively. 
They struggled with this. The hearers may have struggled with this. Why do you speak to them in parables? And Jesus answered and says, To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. Now the word mystery is used most frequently in the New Testament in the writings of Paul. And the word mysteries indicates often something that was not understood but now has been revealed, now has been made known in Jesus Christ. But he says to you, it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them, it has not been given. This chapter emphasizes God's right to speak in such a way that those who have hearts for him are drawn to him and those who have hardened their heart against him will be repelled by his teaching. It emphasizes God's sovereignty and it emphasizes man's responsibility. When we get to verse 15, verse 15, we'll see that they, uh, they have closed their eyes. But God says to you, it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. Now this is very similar to Matthew 11. Look back at Matthew 11 in verse 25, Matthew 11, verse 25, it says, At that time Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and revealed them to infants. The Father has both hidden things and he's revealed things. And it's the same thing we have here in Matthew 13. He's hidden some things. He's revealed things. But notice there it is said to be hidden from the wise and intelligent. Our ability to see, our ability to hear, our ability to understand the things of Jesus is not always measured by IQ. You've hidden these things. For the wise and intelligent and revealed them to babes. Do you remember the passage in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 26? Where the Bible talks about who God has chosen. He uses that phrase three times in verses 26 through 28 of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the wise and the foolish things of the world to confound the wise and the weak things to confound the strong and God has done that so that no one should boast before him God has revealed these things to Bay being one who sees and hears and understands the things of Jesus is going to only happen if we're humble enough to listen to it And Jesus says in verse 12, Whoever has, to him shall more be given, and he shall have an abundance. And whoever does not have, even what he has, will be taken away. Now that phrase is used in each of these parallel passages in Mark 4, 
and in Luke 8, but it's also used a couple of other places. It's used at the ending of the parable of the talents. As one talent, the one talent man's talent ultimately goes to the man with ten talents. And Luke, 16, Luke 19 gives the very similar parable of the minas. And again, the man with one mina is, uh, the man with one mina has it taken away and given to the man with ten. And it's explained in that context that to whoever has, more shall be given. This is used to talk about in our seeing, our hearing, our understanding the things of God. And it's used also to speak of our rewards. But there is a sense in which this emphasizes the idea of compound spiritual interest. Do you know about compound interest? If so, you might need to explain it to me afterwards. But whatever road you're on, Whatever path you're taking, you're going to be further down that path at the end of the day. And if the Lord spares us for another year, you're going to be further down that path. In Proverbs chapter 4, verses 18 and 19, the Bible says this, The path of the righteous is like the light of dawn that shines brighter and brighter until the full day. The way of the wicked is like darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. If you are one who sees and hears and understands the things of Jesus, that path is just going to get brighter and the path get clearer but if you are one who closes your eyes and closes your ears the darkness is going to intensify and you're not going to know what you're stumbling over and then verse 13 as it particularly emphasizes these key words, says, therefore I speak to them in parables, because while seeing they do not see, while hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. I know some of you thought of, when you read verse 13, some of you think of Psalm 115, Psalm 135, which talks about the idols which have eyes but do not see, and have ears but do not hear. And here these people, often these are the ones who are wise and intelligent. Often these are the ones who are sophisticated. Who this text tells us, these are ones who have eyes but, but do not see. They have ears but they do not hear nor do they understand. They have been presented with the teaching of Jesus in many places throughout these Gospels, Matthew 8, or excuse me, Matthew 5 and 7, the Sermon on the Mount has recorded that teaching. Matthew 10 has recorded that teaching of Jesus and many other things that he taught and said. They have seen the miracles of Jesus. Think about seeing him. 
do His great and mighty works. They heard the words, but they didn't recognize what they were hearing. They saw the sun and didn't understand what they were seeing. visiting in the congregation I was passing through between two meetings he had the opportunity to stop at a place on Sunday morning and the preacher did an absolutely phenomenal job with a difficult topic and afterwards I was talking to one of the elders of the congregation you have known for years. I said, do the people realize, do the people here realize what they just heard? Do they realize what a profoundly good job that was that he did? It shouldn't surprise us if some audiences don't because they didn't with the greatest teacher that ever lived. They didn't see, they didn't hear, and they didn't understand. And it says because of this, and this is a quotation from Isaiah 6, 9, and 10. This is a quotation from Isaiah 6, 9 and 10. Go and preach to this people and hearing they will hear, but they will not understand. And see, they will see, but they will not perceive. And make the heart of this people hardened, wax hard. Lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts. That passage is quoted about as often in the New Testament as any passage. That's quoted here, that's quoted in its parallels in Mark 4 and in Luke chapter 8. It is quoted in John 10 verses 39 and 40 to summarize the whole message of Jesus. The reason they did not grasp this message is because their, their eyes were blinded and their, their ears were closed and their hearts were hardened. And it's used at the end of the book of Acts for Paul to say why the Jews in Rome have rejected his message. You will keep on hearing, but you will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but you will not perceive. The heart of this people has become dull. With their ears they scarcely hear. They have closed their eyes. Otherwise they should see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their heart and return, and I would heal them. But notice that Jesus makes a contrast between the crowds 
and the disciples. Really, he makes a two-sided contrast. The crowds on one side have eyes but don't see, and have ears but don't hear, and have a heart but doesn't understand. The disciples, on the other hand, have eyes to see and ears to hear. But the disciples are also blessed in contrast with some who have been longing for these days. As verse 16 and 17 says, And blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. For truly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. These disciples are distinguished from the crowd. Those disciples have eyes but don't see, have ears but don't hear, and have a heart but doesn't understand. These disciples are hearing and seeing and understanding. Now, one of the things that's interesting about this is in Mark's account, in Mark 4, verse 13, Jesus offers a mild rebuke to these disciples. Jesus says, do you not understand this parable? How will you understand any of the parables? He offers a mild rebuke. But here he says, your eyes are blessed because they see, and your ears are blessed because they hear. They may not have understood everything. They keep listening, and they keep watching, and they keep thinking. Remember a passage we used last year, Luke 2, verse 49 and 50? Jesus said, I must be about my father's business. Mary and Joseph did not understand. But the next verse tells us that Mary treasured these things in her heart. She's pondering, she's thinking, she's meditating upon these things, trying to come to some understanding. One of the first things in education, education doesn't always mean being able to spill out all the information at any given moment. But I'll tell you one thing that education means a lot of time. It means you know the source to go to. You know the person to look with. You know the book to reference. Education often involves going to the right source. And I want to tell you, if you want to be educated, the most important school that ever will exist, keep going to the right source. Keep looking. Keep listening. Keep thinking. Keep perceiving. Blessed are your eyes. In contrast to their eyes, blessed are your eyes that they see. But you're even more blessed than the prophets and the righteous men. If you look at verse 7, or verse 17, excuse me, 
Verse 17, I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desire to see those steps. That word translated desired was used before in Matthew. In Matthew 5, verse 28. But I say to you that if you look upon a woman to lust after her, the same word used for an unlawful desire there is used for the most noble of desires here. They desired to see these days and did not see it. In a lot of ways, when we put the whole Bible story together, I think parables are one of the easier parts to understand. I don't know if you agree with that, and there are some parables harder than others, I understand that. But this is the same question. Why is the Bible written? If God wanted us to believe something, or God wanted us to do something, or God wanted us not to do something, why doesn't He just come out and say it? First of all, the gap between God's mind and our mind is infinite. It is so infinite that it cannot be crossed over by scientific investigation, by philosophical speculation, nor can it be crossed over by poetic imagination. Now, I didn't come up with those lines. Those were from Kenny Chumley's commentary. But the gap... Between our mind and God's mind is great. And yet, God knows us inside out, upside down. He knows everything about you and everything about me. In Psalm 139, that is clearly revealed in the first six verses. And God knows how to communicate with us. God knows how to communicate. And God knows how to write things to rebuke us when we're wrong, to strengthen us and build us up when we're weak. God knows how to write things to sustain us during suffering and humble us during pride. God knows how to do these things. And God has communicated that to us in Scripture. And I think this passage says about parables that these parables will move those who have a heart for God and those who want to see and those who want to hear and those who want to understand 
understand. Well, increasing all of that via these parables. And what's said about the parables is said about all, is in effect said of all of Scripture. That this book can move us in the right direction. God doesn't force us to accept his message. And if one is determined not to, they may they may find things in the Bible that they think support their position. They may find contradictions that are just too great to overcome. None of that's really right, you understand. But the Bible talks in 2 Thessalonians 2 of people who didn't receive the love of the truth and says, for this reason, God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they will believe what is false. In order that all may be judged who did not believe the truth but took pleasure in wickedness, God is not seeking to lead astray sincere seekers, however simple they be. But for the most wise and intelligent, who think they know better than God, there will be things that they will latch on and criticize. I want to ask you this question. I know it's true of me. Have you ever been thinking about something, wrestling with a problem, wrestling with some discouragement? You're reading a passage in the text that at first glance has nothing to do with what you're thinking about. It may not only be at first glance, it may be after a detailed study that it really doesn't have anything to do with what you're wrestling with. And yet at the same time, that passage helps you in wrestling that. I've had that happen. I know others that have had that happen. And friend, if we don't listen to what he said in this book, why do we think the most compelling miracle would persuade us? Remember, Lazarus says, I have five brothers. Or the rich man said, send Lazarus to my five brothers so they don't also come to this place of torment. And Jesus said, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't be persuaded if someone rises from the dead. John 9 is a powerful chapter to show that the blind can be healed not only physically, but 
But spiritually, they can come to a greater understanding as that man does in John 9. And a failure to understand what we're trying to state in the last couple of weeks is a failure to understand is not simply intellectual. It's not that this message of the gospel is for the intellectually elite. Matter of fact, it is for those who are humble enough to acknowledge they don't know the way. And they want to listen to him. And they want to follow him. Jesus said in John 9 verse 39, Judgment I have come into this world, for judgment I have come into this world, so that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may become blind. A failure to understand is often a moral problem. As we saw in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, God chose the foolish to shame the wise. He chose the weak to shame the strong. He chose the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before God. No one may boast before him. And Jesus giving sight on a physical level, as he's done in this gospel, is an indication that he is able to give sight on a spiritual level. Now this is what I mean by this. If you're here this morning and you're saying, I don't see, and I don't hear, and I don't understand. I'm not grasping the message of the Bible. I want to know the story of the Bible. Just as surely as Jesus opened the eyes of the blind and opened the ears of the deaf in Mark 7, 31-37, He can open our blind eyes and open our deaf ears. It's very interesting to see how gospel stories are often placed side by side. In Luke 18, verses 35-43, through 43, the last verses of Luke 18. There's the blind man, Bartimaeus, crying out. Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. The crowds tell him to be quiet. He continues to cry. Jesus says, come to me. What do you want me to do for you? He said, regain my sight. And Jesus opened his eyes. The next thing recorded at the opening of Luke 19 is a man who was small in stature. But he was rich by the name of Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus had climbed up in a tree because he wanted to to see Jesus. You've had Jesus healing a blind man physically. And now you see one who wants to see Jesus. And Jesus says, Zacchaeus, come down. For I must go to your house today. The crowd begins to grumble. He's gone to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. But Zacchaeus said, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anyone of anything, I'll pay him back four times the amount. Every time Jesus opens the eyes of the blind in the gospel of Matthew or any other gospel, Jesus shows his ability 
his ability to open our eyes. I do not want anybody this morning to say, I don't have eyes to see, I don't have ears to hear. But I want him keep looking, keep listening, keep contemplating. Jesus has done. Everybody in this audience, if this is not the case, if I am assuming too much that this is not the case, we will get you one hand. But everyone in this audience has a Bible. A full Bible. Something that Abraham did. Moses didn't have. And Isaiah and the prophets didn't have. And they studied and examined their writings trying to figure out what all would happen as God brought salvation. 1 Peter 1 verses 10 through 12 says even the angels desired Even the angels desired to look into these things. We have a Bible that none of these men had. We have a Bible for which people have died to make available to us. In 1536, in England, let me back up. William Tyndale made a copy, was making a copy of the Bible in English. He finished the New Testament and worked with the old. The king of England offered a reward for anyone who would confiscate pages of that and turn them in so that they would be burned. to finish his new translation. So he disguises himself and turns in some copies of the Bible and get money to finance his newer and full translation of the English Bible. And in 1536, at the age of 42, this brilliant man was burned at the stake for no other crime except to make the Bible possible for all who read the English language. The last words. The last words he ever spoke were, may God open 
the eyes of the king of England. Within two years of his death, a Bible was put in every, an English Bible, a Tyndale Bible was put in every church in England. How blessed are we to have this. How blessed are we to see God's purposes from Genesis to Revelation. May God help us never to take it for granted. Let us pray. Oh Lord our God. We are so blessed. We're so blessed to be able to worship you openly, to read this book openly, to have copies available and to make copies available. It is a blessing that some in the world would now still long for. Thank you so much. May those of us who have been blessed so richly with these Bibles, with the story of what you've been doing since creation and what you will do to the day of eternity, may we cherish it in our heart. May we have eyes to see and ears to hear. May we humble our hearts not to think ourselves wise and intelligent and in need of no instruction. But continuing to look to you, continuing to look to your word, continuing to surrender our will to your will. Lord, we are thankful. In the words of the hymn, though we were once blind, you have now allowed us to see. And we praise you for the light of the world in whom we see all things properly in his name. Amen. I don't know how much people like the Ethiopian eunuch knew before they became a Christian. But they knew that they'd sinned, they knew they needed forgiveness. And they knew they needed to turn from their sins and repent it and be baptized. If you do that today and you keep on looking and you keep on listening 
and you keep on contemplating, your journey will end in eternity with Him. We invite you to come as we stand in this.